0: What is up everybody? This is the Pivot Podcast. I am your host Jeff Valjefe and my co-host with me is Draft Chief. We are back in the swing of things. Had to delay this podcast for a little bit as we're getting settled with NBA and everything but how are you doing today DC? I'm
1: good man. We've got you know roughly a week of NBA behind us and we're starting to get you know significant numbers in terms of how teams and players are playing. Although I will say as opposed to a sport like baseball, um, you know, you can get a good idea after one or two games just like watching these teams and, and seeing what's up, whereas baseball, you really do got to look kind of at the numbers uh, to kind of see maybe who is underperforming relative to their skill level.
0: People are – a really common question that I get asked is how long do we wait before the optimizer really starts cracking? And I think in basketball, in relation to what you just said there, it can – work a lot better earlier in the season than uh, in a sport like baseball. So uh, we're already seeing really good lineups from the optimizer. Last night, I want to say it put up like 320 or 330 on Fandle. Uh, Rob was texting me this morning about that. So it's already kicking. Uh, The the more sample size it gets with all this data and stuff, it's going to be better. But right now it's still doing well. So we figured with this podcast, the Pivot podcast, some of you guys might be listening to this for the first time. Others have heard ones where we cover football. Uh, this The plan for this podcast was just kind of have it something where we could talk about any relevant sport at the time. And right now it seems to make sense to kind of talk about basketball and review the first week or so and let everyone know what our early thoughts are. Some big talking points to start the season for me are and one thing I want your thoughts on or a few things I want your thoughts on DC is one the Celtics without Gordon Hayward your impression of them two what the the cat what's going on with the calves because we've got Dwayne Wade going to the bench he's offered to go to the bench though he's been hurt we've seen uh, just one game from him doing that but they're struggling they just lost to the Nets last night so they're running LeBron at point guard. I think there are a lot of talking points there. The Warriors are struggling too. They are three and two to start the season and just have not looked great. Those are the three big ones that stand out for me from three of the big contenders, but I think there are a lot of other talking points too. What Just before we get into in depth on some of those situations, what are some things that are standing out to you right now?
1: Yeah, those are definitely three good ones. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to see. Like, the Chicago Bulls look surprisingly okay. Um, so the Celtics, I think, are going to be really fun to talk about, too. It's certainly an interesting team. Uh, the Cavs and Warriors both struggling out of the gate, like, that's yeah, like kind of hard to, to fathom. But the defense really hasn't been there for those guys. And then my Timberwolves look pretty bad these last couple games without Jimmy Butler. Um, I was, you know.
0: That defense, dude. Oh, man.
1: Yeah, like Thibodeau is known as this defensive savant. But, again, I came to the conclusion last year that he built that reputation in when he was an assistant coach with the Celtics when they had KG, who's one of, like, the all-time great, you know, bench-pin defenders. Then you went to the Bulls and he had, like, Noah and Jimmy Butler, who are good defenders. Like, I don't know if if his system is kind of out of date. So I'm worried a little bit about the Wolves. So,
0: yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about the Wolves, too. The the defense has just been really bad. We'll see when Jimmy is is healthy and everything, what happens with that. But let's let's talk about the Celtics first because that was opening night. Gordon Hayward gets hurt, and you know that immediately that's gonna just completely change the outlook for the Celtics. To start off the season, both of us have been really impressed with Jalen Brown. That's a guy who's really stood out to me. He's averaging almost 20 points a game. He started every game and he just looks really aggressive we've been saying that word a lot for Jalen Brown to describe his play to start off this year but really there's no other word to describe it he's attacking the rim really well uh he seems very active on defense they're using him to defend point guards to defend wings and he's doing a really good job so to me Jalen Brown stepping up is something that can keep Boston on the top of the east
1: here yeah, no question. And uh, Jason Tatum, their third overall pick, looks good, too, like playing big minutes. He's, it looks like he's gaining confidence, shooting a lot of threes, playing some decent defense. Um, certainly at this point in the year, it looks like a pretty fantastic trade by Danny Ainge to get Tatum over Markel Fultz and gain a possible top five pick next year. Uh, so quite the trade there early on. Obviously, a lot can happen between those two players. You know the rest of their careers but right now uh looks like a fantastic trade and yeah jalen brown that's awesome i mean such a bright future for the celtics it's a shame they lost gordon hayward but possible long term that it's you know almost beneficial for them if you can come back next year at full strength you know they'll have all these minutes from jalen brown and, and jason tatum to develop uh smart i think is a good rotation piece obviously they got Kyrie irving like They've got a lot of good players, and I think a, a team that's built for the modern-day NBA with all these kind of switchy wings. Jalen Brown can defend, you know, one through four for sure, and I've even seen him switch on centers and do okay. So pretty high on these Celtics as well.
0: So they essentially, it looks like, one run a six-man rotation. When they're healthy, smart has missed a couple games here to start the season, and, and Rozier has picked up some minutes uh, when he goes down but look at the minutes distribution for this lineup and it's pretty crazy they're all playing like mid-30s minutes yeah. Ky- Kyrie Irving's playing 36 minutes a game right now so I'm curious what your thoughts on him are to start the season because the numbers haven't been ridiculous they've been solid yeah he's averaging 20 points a game six assists four rebounds like you know he hasn't really blown us away I thought he was a le- legitimate MVP candidate heading into the season and especially once Gordon Hayward went down that I thought would just open things up way more for him but am I being too hard on him he's had a solid start right
1: yeah he's obviously been fine um but like he hasn't you know if we're talking DFS he hasn't paid off his salary I mean maybe just like one time barely I think there's kind of a lack of passing almost outside of Kyrie Irving and maybe Al Horford on the scene like I think I think uh, Jalen Brown is like, four or five assists on the entire season. Uh, Tatum is not much of a playmaker, any, you know, either, like, playing without Smart. Smart's another guy that could set up Kyrie Irving for open looks. Like, Irving's used to playing with LeBron, which obviously, you know, LeBron has a huge amount of gravity pulling the defense toward him and can set him up with open threes. Like, that's kind of gone for, for Kyrie Irving. So... Um, you know, I, I think he'll improve when Smart gets back, but he's just not going to get that many open looks. Um, and he's kind of got some guys like Brown and Tatum that can drive to the hole and, and, you know, produce on some unassisted baskets, basically. So I think the loss of Gordon Hayward and, and then switching teams maybe had more an effect on him than we thought it would.
0: Terry Rozier by far has been the best distributor on the team. Four assists per game in fewer minutes than these other those five other guys we talked about. Is assist to turnover ratio, it's early, but it's 5.3 uh, to 1. That, I mean, it's really good, of course. Um, I don't know. Any final thoughts on Boston? What, what do you want to talk about next?
1: Yeah, no, I think that covers Boston. It's an exciting team to watch and certainly a team right now that you want to kind of target for DFS because you just know the minutes are going to be there for these guys, which is always a, a plus, of course. Um, let's jump to the uh, you know the presumed uh, finals contenders, at least from the last couple of years. And probably this year, too, still, I think. But the Cavs and the Warriors both off to a little bit of a rough start.
0: So the Cavs, let's start there. LeBron, to me, one of the more exciting developments early on in the season is them running him out at point guard is, I think, a fair way to describe it. But he is the de facto point guard with Rose missing the last three games. And especially Wade has missed a game as well. And he's doing really well. And it was one of those things that broke during one of our live shows that LeBron was going to run point guard. The lineup came out. And, like, I think you and I reactions on the show, it was just like, wait, what? Like, immediately we thought he was a must play. And it proved to be right that night. And then, again, last night, too. So the, the, the two nights that he's run point guard has been over 60 Fandle points, I believe, both nights. Is just absolutely crushed in that role. The problem is they lost to Brooklyn last night. They've struggled overall this season in general. I mean, I, I'm a little bit concerned about the Cavs because they are a team that uh, their key is all older players, right? Even, uh, you know, even Rose, even Kevin Love, like they're not – these guys really in their prime, they're towards the end of it. Although Rose, I guess, is young. It's just he's dealt with a lot of injuries and stuff. He's not in his prime anymore, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you still can't think of him in his prime, that's for sure. He was an MVP candidate when he was a baby. But um, I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about these Cavs, considering they're getting such amazing play out of LeBron James and still losing to the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic.
1: Yeah, it almost lost to the Bulls, too. Um, You know, they're just giving up a ton of points. Like, their defense is terrible. We've talked about that on our shows. Like, they've been one of the worst teams' transition defense for the last couple years, and they're facing these kind of fast-paced teams like the Nets, and the Nets just ran on them and scored in transition and put up a whole bunch of points, like Spencer Dinwiddie with over 40 fantasy points yesterday. Uh, We saw and Grant the night before. Like, two point guards right in a row just – you know, not heralded point guards by any means, Absolutely smashed the Cavs. Um, I didn't watch either game. I was watching other games. Who's defending the point guard? I assume it's J.R. Smith. I, I mean, like I know LeBron is playing point guard on offense, but I assume he's not defending the
0: point guard. So, yeah, I I there were a few possessions where I was trying to pick up on that, and then I just, I don't know, stopped paying attention or whatever. But the few possessions I was watching, it was just like – the the worst defense like it was almost like a zone matchup defense or something it wasn't but that's what it felt like because everyone just kind of was casually defending it, it's is I, I hate when NBA teams get like this and are basically not down in their defensive stances and it's just like casually trying to move through screens and stuff and that was the vibe I had from the Cavs on that on those few possessions I watched in regards to who specifically matched up on the the ball handler bringing the ball down the court I don't remember it was probably it was probably J.R. Smith of course Corver K- played a bunch of minutes last night too and anyone that he guards is gonna be uh, yeah. basically a free path to the rim like he is one of the worst defenders in the league it's just the whole team is full of defenders that aren't trying or just don't have the skill to be good on defense
1: yeah, Kevin Love is so slow uh, at this point, like even Tristan Thompson, um, he's a fine defender, but he's not like the best room protector or anything. A couple stat nuggets just from the last couple teams that the Cavs have faced. The number one player so far in the league in terms of uh, points per possession as a pick and roll ball handler is Jaren Grant, who we just mentioned torched, uh, torched the Cavs a couple games ago. The number seven guy now, on that list at the 90th percentile is spencer, spencer dinwiddie <laughs> so <laughs> i think they're those these guys have benefited from uh from facing the, the cleveland cavaliers right oh my goodness
0: yeah that's just that's They've obviously that's fit another
1: team too, but still that's that's kind of astonishing there
0: something we're gonna keep an eye on moving forward for dfs of course
1: yeah. one cards against the Cavs, i would say right now um if there's a good pick and roll guy, a decent pick and roll guy, take a hard look at that. As long as they're rolling out this lineup,
0: you could argue Jeff Green has been their second best player this year. Uh, he's played some pretty good minutes off the bench, dude. I don't know. You said you haven't seen the game, so you're probably just looking at these box scores and probably saw the box score last night. Going, wait, what? Jeff Green had a really good game, but yeah, I think he's looked really good. You actually, you saw him the first night, right? Like.
1: Yeah, no, that, I mean, that makes sense, It especially against Brooklyn, a team that plays up and down, super fast-paced. Like, Green has got – you know, he's still a crazy athlete, can shoot a little bit, can get out in transition. Um, you know, I, I'm not surprised that he had a big game against the Nets. And, and, and like, playing with LeBron, I mean, that elevates people's games, especially a guy like Green who can get up and down the court and spot up from three. That's kind of a perfect scenario for him.
0: Yeah, all right, let's move on to the Warriors then. So the Warriors, my team – for whatever reason, they're they're struggling so far. Steph Curry has been very frustrated to the point that he threw his mouth guard. Not at an official, of course. Of course, you oh, would, would never. No, he would never do that. But at the th- at the floor, a foot away from an official, that's something he would do. So um, it's been like I hate when he does or the Warriors do that kind of stuff because they could be such a like a lovable team despite them being like the the big dominant force in the NBA because for the most part these guys are are really fun to root for but when Steph gets like that and Durant gets all pouty and stuff too I I hate it like I and I'm embarrassed to be a fan sometimes um it's just interesting to see that frustration though come out of Steph Curry and Kevin Durant to MVPs this early in the season like what are they getting so mad about dude what are the struggles with with this team and is, is it a, a legitimate concern maybe moving forward? Obviously, we know they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be big favorites um, to advance far in the playoffs. But in regards to actually defending the championship, are there any concerns
1: there? I wonder if Duran got on one of his fake Twitter accounts to defend Curry after that mouth guard throw. Probably. Durant is like, I mean, I love the guy. He's awesome at basketball, and I respect his decision to go wherever he wants. But the dude is a baby sometimes. Like he's yep. just, he, like, dude it's like you're an mvp an nba champion you're worth like 500 million dollars and you're like loading up fake twitter accounts to defend twitter eggs that have like seven followers it's like dude find something better to do with your time i mean man i i don't know it's just like
0: i'm with you man it's like who
1: cares about the haters you're like on top of the world so it doesn't make any sense to me as far as their long-term prospects I'm not really concerned. I mean, if anything, I think the frustration that they're throwing, showing so far playing poorly, I, I could almost see that being a good thing. Like, they're not apathetic toward these early season games. Like, they are frustrated that they're not performing up to the level that they would expect to. I haven't heard any issues in terms of, like, team chemistry or people being frustrated with their role or anything like that. So, I, I mean, I just – I think they'll figure it out. You know, it's still a small sample size this early in the NBA season. And unless, like, some, one of these guys loses their shooting touch, which I don't see happening, uh, they'll surely be back to kind of the same old Warriors sooner rather than later. I think
0: anything like being angry at the refs, feeling like the refs are against you, or being angry at fans, or whatever, all of those kind of things are really good for team building and, and chemistry because it, It unites them against a singular force outside of the team, right, rather than being angry at someone within the team. And, um, yeah, it could be a good thing long term. I think that Draymond Green was the guy I was keeping an eye on heading into this year as someone that could have just a career year, basically, and the, the assists are certainly there. He's averaging a career high in assists so far really early in the season. I would like to see some of those other numbers come up. His rebounds, I think, are second highest in his career right now, and the scoring just hasn't been there, as you'd expect on this team with Clay and Steph and Durant. But I figured with uh, the extra looks he'd get this season that maybe he could capitalize on some of those looks. He's just not shooting the ball well. So hasn't been there yet. Would be curious to see if that does come up, though. Uh, Clay Thompson had a great game last night with – the uh, the narrative there of him donating $1,000 for every point that he scored, um, best game of the year, I believe, for him last night, even got some assists, especially early on in the game, which you joked about, DC, is, well, yeah, he's got that nervous, so he's not going to want to lose all that money. He's going to be passing the ball the whole time, and when I saw that the tweet from, I think it was Kawakami or something, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is actually happening. It's when Clay you know, Thompson. Like four, like, four assists in the first quarter or something? He, he, said, he did. And I'm going, like, it's Clay Thompson. Like, he legitimately might be thinking that because he's just – he's a weirdo, man. Like, he's, he doesn't think like you and I or anyone else. He might legitimately be thinking that, oh, I don't want to lose that money. It was his agent's idea to do the promo and everything. It's not like he – this was some heartfelt passion of his or something. He really wanted it. No, his, his agent was like, hey, this would be a good idea.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, uh, it's, not like it, it's not like it's that much money. I mean, for how much money? Yeah, like a thousand dollars per point for three games or something. So it's that's like seventy-five thousand when you're making, you know, fifteen million or something.
0: I to to ninety-nine percent of the NBA, I wouldn't even give it a second thought. For Klay Thompson, when you said that, I'm like, I wouldn't put it past
1: him. I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you. I'm like, it's it's almost like so little money per point that it's like he obviously like doesn't care like that much. You know, if it was like. Oh, I'm going to give like $10,000 a point. Then be like, okay, he must be like pretty passionate about this issue. But yeah. no, that was kind of funny. It would have been way better if he would have got like 10 assists or something. Like set a career high there. I like, would have been rolling. Just more than he normally yeah,
0: I would have called you. At the 10th assist, I would have called you. I texted you last night to give you a heads up. But I would have just flat out called you.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> answer.
0: Yeah, probably not. Um, so... I don't know, I could talk about the Warriors all day. Any other random thoughts? I think that Jordan Bells looked good in spurts. His minutes are going to be really inconsistent. Did you see his dunk in the game that they were blowing the other team out?
1: Yeah, that was awesome.
0: (laughs) It was amazing, but the whole team was kind of mad at that. But, you know, I think they'll shake that off and deal with it. It was a great dunk.
1: Yeah, people were talking about, like, I think Kerr was a little bit upset with them, And then after the game, Kerr, like, tried to apologize to Maverick's coach, Yeah, Carlisle and Carlisle like blew him off. It's like
0: that's stupid.
1: You want to if you like don't want someone to showboat dunk like then play defense. I don't know. It's just I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I think you know old school NBA guys like Rick Carlisle probably do, but it's an entertainment game, and that was certainly an entertaining play. So. It's about the fans. I got, I got no issue with it.
0: So when we don't have to spend as much time on these teams. I wanted to throw out a few teams that are struggling more than I thought they would, at least in terms of record. And you can tell me if you want to talk about any of these teams. The Sixers, I thought were going to be better. They're 1-4 and four right now. Uh, struggled early on. Uh, played a couple tough teams. I think they lost to Houston last night by one point, right? So it's not like they're playing bad basketball or anything. The other team, we got the Pelicans at one and three, Anthony Davis, with an, an early season in-game <laughs> injury that cost everyone. Like, anyone new to the NBA DFS is going, oh, man, how frustrating. Every, anyone who's played NBA DFS before is like, well, yeah, that's normal. And then the Nuggets are one and three as well. So any of those three teams stand out as uh, anything interesting to say? Any, um, anything you notice with those teams?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I know the Sixers record has been not great so far, but I I will still say overall, um, I I think it's a positive start for the Sixers. Um, The Markel Fultz thing, we could maybe talk about that more if we wanted to. That's really weird, like playing all these games and then the agent says that he can't, that his shoulders hurt. The, The agent says he got his shoulder drained and then clarifies that it was just a cortisone shot. There was actually no draining and now he's sitting out games like, His shot just looks abysmal. Hasn't taken a single three pointer after being like a pretty prolific three point shooter in both college and summer league. So I don't know if he's hurt or just scared or what the deal is there, but that's an interesting storyline. But outside of that and outside of their record, like the Sixers have to be so encouraged with Ben Simmons, who just looks awesome. He looks like, I mean, he's like already there, right? Like I think like an all-star maybe this year, um, Like, he's playing at that kind of level. His defense looks better than expected. And then Embiid's been healthy and looks good, right? Like, those are kind of the two big question marks. So record aside, uh, I think the Sixers are going to improve, and I'm encouraged by by what I've seen out of them.
0: It looks like the plan with Embiid moving forward as it was last year is just kind of sit them in one end of the back-to-back. And it's not always going to be the second end of the back-to-back, I think. So always be aware of that. There's a little more risk if we don't have that news. But he's been amazing he at 20 points and 10.5 rebounds in 27 minutes. Like, guess he's just unreal. And Simmons, 16.4 points and 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Like, I mean, you can't ask anything more from him. I think that we did a good job of identifying that this could be a really good defense. Um, Simmons, Embiid, Covington, some of these guys on this team – good defenders even Amir Johnson more of a role player for him 15 minutes off the bench and he's going to provide good defense as well so I think we'll start to see that as the season progresses where the Philadelphia is actually able to really limit their opponents
1: yeah no question a couple statistical notes that are standing out to me as for in terms of team play Um, Atlanta and Indiana two teams that we don't historically think of as kind of running teams are fifth and sixth in the league in pace Uh, The Magic are fourth, another team that, you know, you don't typically think of as a a high-paced team. And then two teams that are slowing it down much more than you might expect. Denver, now 26th in the NBA in pace. Not something I saw coming. And Sacramento Kings, 28th in the league in pace, another team that is slowing it down. And, and, you know, Sacramento's played Phoenix, so it's not like they've played all these slow-paced teams. So um, interesting to watch there, you know, Teams that change up their style of play early on can be profitable DFS situations because people remember how they played last year, but that's not always the case uh, carrying over to the next season.
0: Yeah, I knew that Dallas was going to play slow. Denver is uh, certainly a surprise uh, as far as playing fast. Yeah, Orlando <laughs> playing playing at like the fourth highest pace. Right. Like you said, Atlanta. I mean, a couple of these are, are pretty surprising, and some of them are based on matchups that they've had so far, but – it's going to be interesting to have to reevaluate some of these teams that we thought were going to play at, at different paces, and it's impacting um, you, you know, the number of possessions that you get in fantasy, and that can really impact the points per minute for guys. You know, When you're playing up in a, a pace-up game and you get an extra 10 to 12 possessions, which is the case sometimes when a slow-paced slow team faces a fast-paced team, that is, that's a lot more opportunity, not even just from a scoring perspective, but and missed shots and rebounds and steal opportunities, all those sort of things, they add up.
1: Yeah, no question. And, and you actually, I've seen a study where the percentage of steals and blocks actually goes up, even relative to the number of possessions in pace up games, because teams are just getting a little bit more sloppy, passing the ball around more, kind of charging to the hoop, and that can lead to turnover situations, which are Obviously really good for DFS. Uh, Last statistical note, my Timberwolves, dead last in the league in defensive efficiency, allowing 114 points per 100 possessions. Go Wolves.
0: Go Wolves. Yeah, awesome. I
1: think that that does a good job
0: of covering the NBA. Any final thoughts on the NBA early on, or you want to move on to some questions? Yeah, let's go to the questions. So we don't have a ton of questions this week. We're going to get into a few of them, but they were some pretty good ones. The first one that I have is from Clubber62, who I think we met at the DraftKings live final, the baseball live final. I'm not positive that's him, but I'm pretty sure that's him. His question is, how do you determine if the chalk plays of the day are good or bad chalk? What are are the main things that you look for? And when we're doing our shows on the live streams and stuff, you'll hear me and DC say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be really popular, but that's bad chalk, or this guy is someone we can't fade because – He's good chalk. I'll start it off, DC, I'll kick it to you. One of the main things I'm looking for, I know you do too, is the usage rate. If you get a guy that's going to be really popular that is maybe a small forward that just sits in the corner and shoots threes, but is going to be popular because he gets a huge minutes boost, that's a guy I'm way more likely to fade than a point guard who gets thrown into the rotation, gets a lot more minutes, is min-priced. And um, is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So we saw that a lot yesterday. A lot of those mid price point guards yesterday ended up paying off, Dinwiddie being one of them. And uh, you can see some of these small forwards, some of these wing players that are just basically sitting in the corner waiting for some opportunities. Don't do a lot with rebounds and that sort of thing that can bust.
1: Yeah, you need to try to figure out what the role on the team. You know, oftentimes the chalk players are – typical bench players that are filling in for injured starters. And so they are mispriced. They're down near minimum price. They're projected to start, but like you mentioned, you know, some of these guys uh, don't, you know, they're going to be the fifth option in their offense coming off the, like, you know, typically being on the bench and the four starters are in there. So they're not going to get many opportunities, but, you know, usually like the NBA has like so many good point guards. It's so hard to get a good starting point, point guard spot that, typically the backup point guard when he inherits those starter minutes, like normally those backup point guards are, you know, decent players, like decent enough players where the team doesn't really have to change the offense all that much. Like most of those point guards can still shoot the three. They can run a pick and roll. Like you gotta, if you can, you, to be on an NBA roster as a point guard, you got to be able to do those things. Like you can't be on a roster if you can't. So normally those point guards that are filling in are going to have pretty solid days. The other thing I would say, um, You know, if you're looking at a a bench player that's coming in for a starter that's going to be chalk, look at the backups behind him. Like sometimes, you know, if a team's got multiple options, if that player struggles to go to, like, then that's kind of chalk that I'm willing to fade. Because if they get off to a poor start in the first quarter, like, how often do you see that they play six, seven minutes in the first quarter? They don't score any points. They go to the backup. The backup plays well, and then they play like 15 minutes in the in the entire game. So. Um, I'm more willing to play those chalk, cheap players when the team is really, really low on options to replace them when they're kind of locked into those minutes. Um, and you can look at, you know, looking up at, at the depth charts is a, is a good way to find those.
0: Yeah, the, the depth is one thing, just the number of bodies behind him and also the skill level of those players behind him, too, you need to figure out because... If the guy going into the starting lineup is a lot better than the guys behind him, I'm more willing to take a chance, even if there is some depth behind him. So, uh, yeah, really good points there. Also, DC and, our, and I are going to be able to help you guys figure out how well that player or how uh, high of usage that player has with the specific teammates on the court that we're projecting to And that's a big, big thing that can give you an edge as well. So really good question from Clubber62. Let's move on to the next one. Aaron Newell has a question. In tournament entries, what do your exposures look like as far as distribution? He's asking if you have a couple guys at 80% and then spread out, how many players overall in your player pool. So basically he just wants to know if you're doing – I mean mass multi-entry is one thing uh, and maybe the easiest way to to talk about distribution. But just in general, if you have multiple lineups – how strong of a core do you usually go for? I know that it is going to change slate to slate. Uh, sometimes we're going to be much higher on specific guys than others. But in general, let's say you built out a uh, hundred lineups. Do you find yourself often going all in on a few guys?
1: I probably do it more than I should, especially in NFL. I do think it's a, it's a reasonable strategy in the NBA. So last night I played six lineups Um if I would have played 150 lineups, I would still would have had a lock button on LeBron James uh, getting that new role as a point guard, you know, coming off uh, a difficult game in Chicago. Um, and I, you know, we kind of figured that he wouldn't be that popular with guys like John Wall kind of that everybody was on and near the same price point. And, and then in and the perfect matchup against the Brooklyn Nets, like he was a guy that I just wasn't going to get off of, especially at a weak, small forward position, just like, so much going for him there so I think if you can identify one or two guys that you're really in love with that you you know that it's just hard to envision them failing like LeBron James like also never gets in foul trouble he never gets hurt like you know there's just he just has such a hard time not to reach value in that specific scenario that I don't mind using the lock button but I wouldn't do it on more than one or two guys and it, it really is slight dependent you need to you know, If you don't feel confident, that confident in any one player, then then don't do it and maybe cap your exposure at 50
0: 60%. Yeah, so really good points there. I think it varies greatly by sport. In football, I've been really cognizant of trying to spread my exposure out regardless of how high I am on a guy uh, because you just don't know what's going to happen in football. In basketball, you can – pretty much figure out that LeBron James is gonna have a good night like it's it's he's not gonna kill you with the zero or something barring something crazy like a late scratch or whatever so I am way more willing to go all in or near all in on some of these basketball plays rather than football plays um I think that in terms of how big the pool should be overall This is kind of self-serving, I think, but what I do is a lot of times when I'm building a lot of my, like a big build for a qualifier or something, I want to make sure I have exposure to pretty much everyone on my cheat sheet. So like, that's kind of how I do it. Like the guys on my cheat sheet are basically all the guys I have interest in that day. So I want to have at least a little bit of exposure to all the guys that I think are good plays that day um i don't have to spread it out evenly or anything there are going to be some guys i'm higher on than others so for instance maybe some of my highlighted plays those are guys i'm going to take a bigger stand on but it is going to vary greatly uh slate to slate there are sometimes going to be a lebron james where you just want to go all in on and then other times there are going to be like three or four guys that are the spend ups at uh, on the slate and ownership is going to be spread out pretty evenly and you don't really have a super strong take on which one of those three or four guys are going to do well. So you just spread it out evenly and figure out different places to take stance. A lot of times I'll take a pretty big stand on a really contrarian guy. And so if I think a guy's going to be 1% owned but is one of the better plays, yep. whether it be like a, a Julius Randle yesterday or a Michael Beasley a day before, one worked out, one didn't, I'll probably have like 30 to 40 to 50% of that really contrarian guy that I think is going to be 1% owned.
1: Yeah, like a player like that for me yesterday was Carmelo Anthony. That I just I was looking at all the you know different write ups around the industry and nobody was on this guy. For me, he was just way too cheap. Um, so he, he would be a guy that you know yesterday if I was mass multi entering, I would have had on a ton of teams. He ended up being like two or three percent owned. I'll say this too. Um, so so my strategy when I do build you know kind of the the hundred or one hundred and fifty lineups with the you know uh, an optimizer or whatever. Um, I like to have if if i'm going after like a tournament with a you know a big prize pool a lot in a big field in a you know a top heavy first place prize i like to have at least kind of three unique players for nba and then beyond that i want to have almost as tight of of player pool as i can like you know just kind of my very favorite plays as long as i can build enough lineups that each lineup has three unique players from the other so you have you know different combinations to try to get to that uh top score that we're all chasing
0: yeah dc's basically saying that he wants at least three different players in every lineup that's what he means by unique players if you use our optimizer where we're partnered with fantasy cruncher they have those settings and it'll say unique players on there and you can set that setting to three unique players that's a really good tip so thank you for bringing that up let's move on to we'll do two more questions and we're going to get out of here one more somewhat serious question then. uh One more fun question. So um, this question is from Turtle underscore Turtle two underscores. Okay, cool screen name. He's asking what the best position to pay up for is and what the best position to pay down for is. This is a really tough question to answer because the slates change every day and this answer is going to be different every slate. But if I had to generalize it at all, I've mentioned this, a few times this year probably already and I mentioned it a lot last year uh, if I had to choose I'm paying down at the wing positions like shooting guard and uh, um, small forward if everything is equal and I'm spending up for especially this year on FanDuel those centers and those power forwards that can rack up steals and blocks and th- those sort of things point guard can come and go like if you can get some good value At point guard, that's always a great thing, but I don't know. That's kind of how I generalize it. Pete, I know this is a really tough question to answer, but any insight into that?
1: I think that's a good way to go in general. I think uh, the exception to that rule is that sometimes, like I'm with you, the, the shooting guard, small forward, the wing positions are, like they're more inconsistent except at the top where you do have some really consistent performers, guys like James Harden, LeBron James, Kevin Durant guys that do get the job done from night to night. So sometimes when those positions are really weak, otherwise uh, I'll spend up a little bit to kind of secure those points in there. Whereas like, you know, oftentimes you can go to a mid range center, you know, if you can project a mid range center to get 30 plus minutes, like he's probably going to do okay. You know, he's going to get some rebounds and putbacks, like maybe a block or two, like he'll be okay. And, And then sometimes those, you know, those cheap, shooting cards with small forwards can really bust really badly. So I don't mind spending up for some of the superstars at the wing positions, but I don't really like the mid range often at the wings. Like it's kind of either get those studs, lock in those points or go cheap and hope they knock down their threes.
0: Especially on those short slates. It's really hard to pass up on the raw points from a guy like a James Harden or something and end up punting the the position because it just comes down to raw points on, on those small slates. Um, But yeah, Good question there. So the last question I want to end it on is Rich Busk. I think I'm saying his name right, is asking, was it worth it doing the DraftKings Pizza Challenge or was the pain unbearable afterwards? <laughs> so for people that missed it, DC decided he was going to do the DraftKings Pizza Challenge where they make you eat an entire large pizza under 10 minutes and your reward is literally five millimaker tickets which to DC means nothing so I don't know why but DC decided this was a good challenge for him
1: I've got like a history of doing eating challenges with my brothers and my friends like like growing up just like randomly pizza eating contests what like other eating contests too just like I think it's like kind of fun to do now now into my early 30s I you know I don't do those things quite as often anymore but when I saw this on Twitter, I was like, all right, I got to do this, was, was was talking trash to people that tried it and failed it. Like, I was watching other people do this, and eventually I'm like, all right, I got to do this myself. It was tough. Uh, I made a couple mistakes in my, in my strategy. I didn't think it would be a, that hard to do, so I thought it'd be funny to be drinking beer while I did it. <laughs> that was... A really bad mistake. I almost threw up like three-fourths of the way through and I took a big swig of my IPA. This was like a, you know, like a... IPA too? Oh like my a goodness. Gear. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a badass and, and have an IPA during this challenge. That didn't work out. I don't know if you saw the video. So I had the, the IPA and then I also had water. My plan was not to use the water unless I had to. But for some reason, Domino's gave me this like especially crusty pizza. And that was by far the most difficult part was getting the crust down. So I needed the water to like Dissolve it basically in my mouth to, to swallow it and my jaw was hurting so bad So halfway through I was kind of questioning whether whether I get it done. I did and the cost uh, Was basically feeling sick for like eight hours, which probably not really worth five maker tickets, but hey um, I haven't gotten those yet. So when I do I'll be sure to label them like the lineups that I make with those line you know, this is like a pizza challenge lineup and if I can turn it into a million dollars, it will definitely have been worth it. <laughs> That'll be a fun party.
0: Um, so yeah, I mean, I've I'll, I'll say I've regularly eaten large pizzas on my own before. I've never tried to do it in 10 minutes. The, the, the time
1: is the tough part. Yeah, I mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I enjoy eating pizza. Why am I going to try and do that for five million millimaker tickets? Like, I could probably do it, but like, and you gotta post a video of it too. It's gotta be public and everything. Like I don't, I don't know. The thing I don't,
1: uh, the thing got, ended up with like ten thousand views. My my only ever Periscope that I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I'm not gonna do it. No plans to do it. But proud of you, man. Didn't see the video. I have zero interest in watching yeah, people's yeah, number face. That uh, is gross. Yeah, like people are dunking their crust and water and shit. I don't know if you
1: did that uh, or not. It's going too far, man. It's like I'll, I'll I'll drink the water when the crust is in my mouth, but dunking it in the water, I'm not about that. My girlfriend did end up watching the video, which… Uh, Next girlfriend. Yeah, still my girlfriend at the moment, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, oh, man, a couple more views of that video, probably not going to happen. All
1: right. Well, I think
0: that that pretty much ends it for us. I appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. DC, final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No, good to be back doing the pivot. Um, Obviously, Thursday, we've got a bunch of normal NBA content and then kind of football content start rolling around Uh, this week. We've got some fun, special guests on podcasts, that kind of thing. So should be a good week to, uh, to listen to some of these pods and consume some of this content on Guru Elite.
0: Yeah, if you do not have a subscription, we actually are offering some specials right now. You can find those on at Guru Elite DFS on Twitter. It's like a nine ninety nine dollars uh, all-access pass. Um, they'll give you a little preview of what we're doing. So give that a look. Follow us on Twitter. He's at DraftSheet. I'm at Jeff K. Collins. We will try to be back with this podcast again next week and regularly get these out. Until then, do awesome things.